Welcome to Talk Plus Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. This is Todd Botler, your host. I'm also editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. And I have with me tonight at Satellite uh, Grill, our Greek Bistro, I guess it is now, um, down here in Circle C, uh, Jennifer Walker and Jonathan Seafelt with the National Wildlife Federation. And uh, let me tell you about them, uh, and then we'll then I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. Uh, first of all, Jennifer is the director of the Texas Coast and Water Program. I noticed it says Texas Coast, not Texas Coastal. I keep one. I just like. I wonder if that's a yes, no. It's Texas Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we've ha- we have a have had a, a coast program, like a Gulf Coast program, for a long time. Yeah. And then we've had our Texas Water Program. The Gulf Coast, the Gulf Coast program has been the whole Gulf Coast, and yep. we actually kind of lopped off, and we're like, we want to combine our wa- Texas Water Program with Coast because uh, clearly they're connected. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Okay. Good deal. So Jennifer has um, 20 years of experience with statewide water policy, and uh, in particular, which I found interesting is that she's chair of Austin's Water Forward Task Force, um, which is working to implement a 100-year water plan focused on deploying one water solutions to meet future water needs. I need to have you back to talk about that. Maybe get you and Robert Mace or something. Can't Um, do. He's my vice chair. Excellent. Um, And Jennifer is also appointed by the Texas Water Development Board to be the environmental interest representative on the Texas Water Conservation Advisory Council. So, uh, if you and if you're listening to this podcast, you should be reading Texas Plus Water. If you read it um, when it comes out here in a week or two, there's an interview with Karen Goose, who's the chair of the Texas Water Conservation Advisory Council. So, there's a shameless plug for Texas Plus Water. Um, and Jennifer has a BS in ecology, evolution, and conservation biology from University of Texas. Jonathan Seafelt is the Senior Communications Manager for the National Wildlife Federation's Texas Coast and Water Program. Jonathan's got a decade of experience in water research and environmental communications and has published, I thought this was very interesting, the history of large-scale water infrastructure in semi-arid environments with a particular focus on long-term impact on climate infrastructure projects. I, I want to see that. That's, that's, that's pretty sounds pretty damn cool. Um, and Jonathan's uh, doctorate is in environmental history from the University of Texas at Austin. We're going to ask you about that here. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Jennifer and Jonathan, welcome and thank you for being part of Talk Plus Water. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. And this is a repeat for you, Jennifer. You and uh, Ken Kramer were on, what, probably two years ago, I guess? It's been a while, so yeah. We were wearing masks. We were wearing, wearing masks, wearing that's masks. right. We were very nervous because we were inside and we all lived to tell the tale. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, boy. Um, we somehow got through that one. Um, so starting kind of, I know we've asked you this, or I've asked you this in the past, um, but, you know, with your background water, I'm curious, when did you kind of first know you're going to devote your career to war? What, can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I was always really interested in water and river systems. And in fact, I really thought I was going to end up um, doing field work on rivers and doing riparian habitat restoration and wetland delineations and just, you know, being out in the river and getting to know every nook and cranny. And that's really what I trained to do and what I what I thought I was going to do. And then um, I ended up after college working at Sierra Club and um, and they had this wonderful water program that was starting up. And I just inserted myself into that and wanted to be part of it. And, um, and it's been no looking back ever since because I still get to um, do work for rivers um, for, you know, 
our ecosystem. It's just from a different perspective. It's from the policy perspective, um, which I didn't really appreciate and know so much about when I was out, you know, chomping around rivers and doing transects and stuff when I was in school. But, uh, you know, I had some kind of a similar experience um, as an intern after college working for the Fish and Wildlife Service up in Fort Worth. And, uh, you know, I kind of saw uh, what that office kind of experienced having to do with the listing or delisting maybe of the Contra War Center. Mm-hmm. You know that? Yeah. And I I saw that and I thought, huh, you know, I love water, but maybe, you know, uh, working the policy side, you know, might help me to uh, kind of avoid, you know, being in a situation where somebody else makes the decision and I don't really get yeah. to say too much about it or can't do much about it. So. Well, I think the policy part's really important. And um, in fact, I remember when I was in school, I even asked about, should I be taking some policy classes? And they're like, no, 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 you don't need that. Um, but I really do think that everyone that's doing environmental science and ecology and, you know, and work on behalf of the environment, right. whether it's, you know, field work or whatever, we should all know the policy because it's all really connected. Like your work as a scientist can can support and feed the policy and the policy that's made impacts the work that you get to do as a scientist. So it's a definite feedback loop. Very related. I'm, I'm- I'm 100% with you on that. So, Jonathan, I got the same question for you. Tell us how you kind of, you know, decided at some point, you know, I'm going to be thinking about water for a long time. Well, I think for me, it was a longer, more circuitous route. So I I, I grew up abroad. Uh, I actually grew up in the Himalayas in India, North India. Are you serious? Yeah. Everybody's got a really interesting story set me. That's what, that, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Like a third or fourth person I've interviewed now who like, you know, grew up, you know, they were like in the jungle or they were like doing something like that. Keep going. Sorry. No, no. I mean, lots of times I wish I was born in Texas sometimes. Um, we won't tell anybody. <laughs> Nobody listens to this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. So growing up in the mountains there, um, there was actually a major dam being built there. It was one of the highest in the world, huh. funded by the Soviets. And every day I saw big trucks carrying, you know, materials to and from the construction site. They had to build a whole new road uh, up the mountain gorge where we lived. Um, so it made me, I was just interested, curious about the project. Uh, so I did, a, actually did like a science fair project where I re, like, built a little model of the dam and oh, tried wow. to understand the effects on the ecology in the area. Anyway, it was clear I was kind of interested in, in water from that. Uh, but I didn't really pursue it at all. I mean, I, I went to graduate school in history planning to study basically social social movements, social change. Um, but some of my field work, uh, I kept finding myself uh, drawn to these new water projects, water infrastructure projects when I was doing my field work. Um, and I realized just after a while I was spending a lot of time <laughs> just obsessing over maps of, of lakes and reservoirs and trying to track watersheds. And I realized I was just really into this uh, aspect of the research, and so I tried to tilt my research towards water, really. And then ever since then, it's kind of been a whole new world opening up to me. Um, and I find myself in the world of Texas water now. Great, great. Well, um, uh, you know, history is a big deal in water, and people kind of ignore it. Yep. Uh, I've got some interesting history I'm going to roll out here with a study I'm doing for Texas 2036. Um, but that's a clue. I just dropped a clue. I'm not going to say anything else about it. A little Easter egg. A little Easter egg, yep. Uh, but uh, I've got you know, a complete set of all the water plans going back to uh, the 61 plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they're just great. They're great history documents. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in there. <laughs> like, you know, we may need one of them in the 60s was kind of, uh, yeah, we may need to develop groundwater in the future because 
radioactive fallout might contaminate all the surface water. <laughs> I was like, somebody, so somebody we know pointed that out to me. I was like, I've never seen that before. I had no idea that was in there. Um, but I digress big time. Uh, but uh, should do a podcast on that. I yeah, should. That's, Crazy things from the state water plant. I've heard some, there's some good ones. Right. You know, it doesn't even, it doesn't even really, this 68 uh, plan, you know, it's got all these projects which add up to like, I don't know, two million acre feet or three million acre feet, something like that. And then says, oh, by the way, this line coming in from the east. Yeah, that's the, yeah. that's where the 12 million acre feet come in, you know, in that pipeline. <laughs> like, okay, it's a, that's kind of an untold story there, the little water plan. Um, so um, we uh, are not just kind of casually getting together. Um, we are here really tonight to talk about your new uh, report that just came out from the National Wildlife Federation and Texas Living Waters Project called Hidden Reservoirs Addressing Water Loss in Texas, which uh, is very timely. You know, we're still in a drought here. And so um, tell us, um, you know, kind of not the basic findings, but what you set out to do in this report and who you were working with. Let's start with that part of it first. Okay. Um, so this report, um, we've been working on it for a long time because we really had to, you know, develop some methodology and really figure out how to answer this question. But um, but the idea was um, we, we've, we've been, as a project, working on water conservation in Texas for a long time. And um, we really wanted to dial in on one of the more important things that we could do to secure water. Um, and the two things that, that we have really settled in on, and we've done lots of work on outdoor watering and, and how to implement outdoor watering restrictions. All right. Hi. Hi. about that weight. No problem. No problem. It looks like y'all are busy, so that's good. Our site is this evening. Welcome to Satellite. My name is Stefan. I'll be your server this evening. Thanks, Stefan. You're very, very welcome. Can I start you off with something to drink besides water? Glass of wine, whiskey? I I think the answer is yes, that. You want to... Yeah, I would like to have this... Uh, I'll take the Skinny Rita. Skinny Rita? Absolutely. Would you like salt with that? Sure. Absolutely. So, the Satellite delight. That's kind of it's got great fruit juice. It's kind of sweet, kind of tangy, kind of thing. Or I'll try that. I'll try that. Ooh, that sounds good too. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll just take a shiner. Shiner. Yeah. This, this, this is a downer guy. Yeah. Okay, you're right. I found a shiner in the back of my refrigerator today, and I was like, "Where did this come from? I haven't <laughs> had one of these in my fridge in a long time." Just been there waiting for it. That's it must right. have been over from the the kids or something. Yeah. The teens. While we wait for the drinks made. Would you like also like to place your appetizers as well, or are y'all getting anything to eat? I mean, you can if you want. Um, I'm not at this moment. I'm That's right. something. That's all right. Take your time. Yeah. I'll be back with the drinks. Thank you. You're very Thank well. you. All right. So we got our drink water in. That's like always one of the key things. Yep. And we got our water. I'm going to take a little sip here while you tell us about your report. Start yeah, yeah. So um, we really wanted to focus in on some of the the most impactful strategies that we could, um, you know, employ in Texas to try to increase our water supply, to, um, to lock in efficiency. Um, we have done work in the past on really trying to quantify how much water could be safe from reducing um, outdoor landscape irrigation. Um, we've been working on that for the last couple of years. And the other place we really wanted to focus was addressing water loss um, leakage through our distribution infrastructure and our communities. So um, we have been working for you know probably a little over a year on this report um, using data from the Water Development Board. Um, communities in Texas have to submit water loss audits um, with which has a lot of great information in them. And then we also have our regional water planning process, which we just had a, a water plan get approved um, just last year. So we had the 2022, it's called, was approved last year though, state water plan, which lays out um, for each of the regions and all the water user groups, the, the needs, the shortages that, that we can expect to see um, in each of our regions. Um, there's strategies identified, of course, to meet those needs. 
but um, so we wanted to really look at how much water are we losing, um, how much can we save, what's economically able to save, how will that make up the shortages or the needs, how can we address the needs identified in our state water plan, and we didn't want to just like lay that out. I mean, while that has really been the bulk of the work and really important, we also wanted to look at the cost-benefit and how much these strategies cost and compare them, um, you know, to other strategies. So it really is, you know, really across the board information on on water loss and what we can do, what some of the strategies, and then also just trying to make the case that it's actually cost-effective to do that. I mean, the state water plan has strategies to meet our water needs proposed. They all have a price tag attached to them, and water loss frequently comes in at a lower price tag. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, I was looking at this, and kind of my first question I wanted to talk to you about is, um, and you just, but you just made me think of something before I get to that. In the water planning process, is there ever a whole lot of focus on water loss? And maybe, you know, is that not, I guess it's not a recommended strategy, but is there ever, okay, we know in Region L, maybe, you know, we're losing this much water. Yeah. And hey, if we address that, so, so um, it is a recommended, it can be a recommended strategy. Um, so in our analysis, when we looked at all the water management strategies for all the water user groups, we saw that seven of the regional water planning groups had water loss explicitly listed as a line item water management strategy okay. with savings attached to it. And then an additional four regional water planning groups had a water conservation strategy, and then they would have like a menu of items listed underneath that. So they had a water conservation strategy with, with amounts of water that could be saved, right. and then water loss would be one of the options. So we counted that too, even though we would really like to see water loss explicitly called out as as a discrete water management strategy, because it really um, requires special attention investment in a way that um, water conservation doesn't. I mean, water conservation requires specific specific attention and investment as well, but but they're kind of they're kind of different, right. different types of strategies. Right. So about um, you know about half the planning groups have water loss as an explicit strategy. Some more have it included in the menu of items, and then there's a handful of groups that don't include water loss at all that we could identify. Um, and then we um, and is that municipal? And, yeah, or, we're okay. we're all, we're looking at municipal so, water use. Yeah. So, in the I know your study is, but the in the water plant process, that water loss is all municipal. It's all municipal. Yeah. So we're looking at municipal water management strategies. Yes. Um, There was something else I was going to tell you about that. Um, Oh, so in the plan, in our report, we break down. um, We have all the regions laid out, and and then we talk about we we have you know we we will absolutely get into this, but we have estimates for how much water can be saved with the you know. With, with different levels of effort, um, and is that the red line? This is this That's is it. the water loss estimated. The red line estimated water loss per H for each planning region. Yeah. So C and yeah. H really but, stick out. There. But this this light blue line right oh. here is is actually the the water loss water management strategies included okay. in the plan. So. So these are regions that actually have water loss in there. So while H has a lot of water loss, um, estimated water loss, they do have um, strategies in their plan to address water loss. But based on our analysis, there's more that they can do with different levels of effort. So where where is H? I can't even remember which region one. Region H is Houston. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Harris County. And region okay. C, which is the other really big one, is Dallas-Fort Worth area. Gotcha. Gotcha. What's that's San Antonio. So, I mean, one of the basic findings is a lot of the water loss is obviously concentrated in cities. Big cities. Yeah, big cities. And so um, you've got, I mean, one of the, the takeaways from your report is Texas is losing an average of over 50 gallons of water uh, per connection every day. So your water utility, you know, each connection is, you know, that's a house, right? So yep. for each household, 50 gallons 
of water loss per day on average. Yeah. Yes. So that's a so, lot. I was like, yeah, shock, kind of shocked. I thought eh, it might be like 10 or 20. Yeah. <laughs> I know what each one of those is. That's a, that's a nice looking brain. Yeah. Producer. Thank you. Very well. Thank you. Very well. Appreciate it. Of course. So it is a lot of water, and we were surprised to see those numbers. And, and in the report, we, we really um, we, we break up the water loss, too, by size categories. Um, so the average is the average across the state, 51 gallons per connection per day. But we also wanted cities to be able to look at this report and be able to look at cities of a similar size and yeah. kind of compare themselves because, you know, I think that a, a smaller city might look at this and see where all the cities aggregate and be like, well, I'm just a small city, so what does this mean for me? Right. So we really, um, really were mindful about breaking this out. So we have very large cities, so cities that are above 100,000 population, um, large, that's between 25 and 100,000 medium cities, 25,000 to 10, and then under 10,000 cities. So so the, the average is... is a little different between them. I think that's one of the interesting takeaways from the data is the the, the average water loss in, in very large cities. So you'd expect, of course, the volume to be larger yeah. in large cities, but also the, the um, amount of loss per connection is higher in cities. So I think one of the maybe conventions or stereotypes in the water loss, at least in Texas, is that there's higher water loss in rural rural areas um, per connection. And what the data is showing us is actually there's, there's very high water loss rates in, in dense urban areas. Huh. Huh. Well, look, so um, we've got, of course, the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act um, that uh, President Biden uh, signed, the bipartisan, also known as Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. And uh, it has a lot of uh, water in it, uh, water in it, <laughs> money for water. I just had one sip. Let's see where this goes. Uh, And so uh, I know that, you know, there's a lot of money in there for like removing lead pipes and things like that. But but is any of that money available to address this issue? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's two two billion available for Texas designated for Texas water infrastructure. And it's got very wide um, applicable uses. So water loss, addressing water loss is definitely one of them. And that's available over the next five years, starting uh, this year. So, yeah. So a lot of that money is going to be available through the state revolving fund, through the okay. clean water, drinking water state revolving fund, and um, communities can apply to those funds. The appropriate one that is infrastructure based, I believe, it is the drinking water fund. Um, and uh, yeah, so there is an annual application process. Um, project information forms are due in March. Then there's a process that the board does and a rating and what the water development board that is that they do and projects are selected. And one of the great things about the IIJA is that um, that they want 49% of the funds that are distributed to be um, forgivable loans or grants. Um, and there's a real focus on, on, on getting these funds to um, low-income and disadvantaged communities um, and folks that, um, you know, aren't able to maintain and make investments in, in their water systems. Right, right. Is there any, you know, data in the study that kind of looks at that, that, you know, kind of determines, you know, hey, you know, some of these communities that have been underinvested in, in terms of their water infrastructure, you know, are they having more problems with leaks than, you know, some other cities, other communities, or is there, can you see any of those kind of differences? That is a question we're still exploring. So okay. we didn't get that granular with this data, partly because we wanted to reach some statewide conclusions, um, but we actually have, that's our next report is looking into uh, sort of historic uh, underinvestment in 
infrastructure in Texas and where there where there are actually holes existing in, in the existing systems. And water loss will be a big part of that analysis. So, you know, kind of staying on the money issue here, you already brought this up, Jennifer, but, you know, I guess the strategies of the water plan, you know, most of the strategies that for new water, right? You know, they're, I don't know, what, probably $700 to $1,500 per acre foot of, of uh, new water that might be developed. And, of course, an acre foot um, is about a third of a million gallons. And so uh, this is a lot less expensive to fix these leaks. I mean, it's, what, $200 or $300 an acre foot or something? Yeah, it, it can really, it can be quite a bit less expensive. Um, of course, there's economies of scale if you're a community that's losing a ton of water and and you're investing um, in water loss strategies, you get more bang for the buck. Um, one of the uh, really great things that working with our consultant is he's worked with communities all over the world um, on, on assessing their water loss and strategies for investment. And he's taken a lot of that cost data and, and done a lot of really interesting um, data analysis to look at like the, the, you know, the curve of investment and the dollars spent and the gallons saved. So I really encourage folks to go and take a, take a close look at that. And then Jonathan might be able to have a, some numbers to share with us here. Good. Yeah, just looking at it. Um, so the, I, the two strategies that seem to be the cheapest were large meter replacement. Um, and that's, I mean, anecdotally, we've also heard that from a lot of utilities too. Um, but also acoustic active leak detection. I mean, the cost range from our analysis is as low as $73 per acre foot to 239 So that's significantly more. You said large meter? Large meter. What's that? What's a large meter? So there's just sort of two broad categories of water meters. You have small ones, which are household level. Okay. And then large ones that are more connected to larger networks, uh, tabulating water for larger distribution networks. Gotcha. Those those are probably the most cost effective um, in terms of replacing them. And there's really, like, there's two components of water loss we're talking about here. We're talking about actual physical leakage from yeah. our water pipes. Right. But then there's also... Um, apparent loss, which is this this mismeasuring inaccuracy. Okay. So so some it, it's a portion. It's not the biggest portion. The biggest portion is, is the water that's lost through leaky infrastructure. Right. But it is important to note that that we also have to measure it properly, so we have to know what we're dealing with. And and uh, and and a lot of meters aren't aren't measuring properly. Um, so so that is it's what the research has found is that is a you know really one of the first places you should look is to make sure that you're measuring well and then, you know, to try to locate leaks and repair them. And that's not lost water, physical water, that's lost revenue to utilities. Exactly. Right, right. So, um, so the average of, you know, 50 or 51 gallons per household or connection or whatever. Um, so, you know, how much, I mean, of that do you think is, you know, kind of lost in transmission before it gets to the household and being lost when it gets to the house? I mean, do you, is, there a, is there a way to tease that out or is that too, is that really kind of too granular? Right? I mean, that, get, that gets very granular. And that's the worst, first time I've ever used the word granular, by the way. <laughs> but the deal is... First time you've heard the word? You used it. No, I've used in it. one of your podcasts? Oh, oh ever. No, it. ever. Oh, well, I've welcome to used, the club. Yes. So, the water loss we're talking about is water loss in utility pipes. So it's not household, you know, like a, a leak in your okay basement. It's, it's before the meter at your house. Gotcha. Um, so you know, thinking about that fifty-one gallons, you yeah. know, think think about it um, this way. You know, say say we're in Austin, which we are. Right. You know, we're pumping water out of Lake Travis. We're we're pumping it to our our and also uh, Lake Austin. We're pumping it to the water treatment plant, treating that water, cleaning it, putting it in the distribution lines to send to our homes. And on the way there, um, yeah. on average, we're losing fifty-one gallons of so, that water along the way. So I'm I'm glad. And so some of it's mismeasured, right? Most of it is leaked. So I'm glad that you told me that because I feel better hearing that because <laughs> I was thinking about wow, you, they're gonna have to fix something at every household connection someplace. Um, 
when it's probably yeah. like leaks that, you know, or, you know, probably one big leak, you know, or maybe there may be many small leaks, but, yeah. but it's probably easier to tackle that way yeah. as opposed to like every household connection, you know, we're, we got to figure out how to go in there yeah. and do something. Well, I um, should also take a little moment to go on a tributary here to talk about like <laughs> what happens in houses mm-hmm. because houses do have leaks mm-hmm. and, and many communities in Texas are deploying AM which is automatic meters systems yep. and um, and so you have more frequent um, reading of, of your meters and you can know on a really granular level this yep. will be the word of the podcast on a really <laughs> granular level the water use um, it's, it's great if, it's yeah. great if you want to um, you know blame your specific family member for using all the water you can be like long showers outdoor irrigation you know you can really you can see the signature of the water use if yeah. it's really that detailed um but all joking aside what utilities do with that they take that data and if they have good systems the meter doesn't save water itself um they'll just do accurate billing what the what the what the cities can do is is have um software that helps them like read this data and communicate with customers and customers have more information about their water use um and then that helps locate meters in houses and see unusual water use patterns my my dad was telling me just this weekend that um, one of his friends got one of the new meters in Austin yeah. and um, this, the city called him and was like, you're using 1,800 gallons of water a day. Yeah. And he had always been forever complaining about how high his water bill was, but that was like about it, <laughs> you know. Um, and come to find out, now that you have the meter, the city contacted him, he had this huge leak and he repaired it. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's a... There we go. <laughs> so Wake up, everybody! Uh, yeah. So, so that's like a, a a real good example of of how um, the automatic meters and like the real time information about your water use can be helpful. But that is not the kind of water loss that we're talking about. Right. The support we're talking about up until the house. So, if you do that, if you, if, you, if you totally really invest in this water loss here, and yeah. then also on the conservation side, invests in like good meters or communications with their customers. You can really have you can pack on the savings. So my my meter story is uh, you know they were putting our new digital meter in they were installing. Oh, you've it. got yours now. Yeah, I was like, wow, I'm really excited about this, and I signed up for it. And Did I you get, sign it for my ITX water. Yep. Good job. ITX water, and I get messages when we water our lawn. You know, I see how much we use, and I try to get in there and look at more of it. I can't get in. I'm like. I called him up and I said, no, your wife's name's on the account. It's her e- email address. I said, well, can't you switch it? No, we can't switch it. Well, can't I? Can't you give me something? No, I'm sorry, you got to talk to your wife. And so she's like not, you know, I don't know, whenever I needed this information, she's someplace and they'll send her a, a code and, you know, she doesn't like see it or something. So I got kind of frustrated. But that's so. That's one. That's my one water meter story. Hopefully <laughs> nobody else has got that same problem. Maybe that can be an improvement. You're actually the second person. I've heard in the water world that has gotten their new meter, but their spouse is on right. the water bill, but <laughs> the spouse is not the one that's the water nerd. Right. That's our problem. <laughs> that is our problem, for sure. So, so I was like, well, you know, I'm her future, husband. Future um, uh, portal yeah. update. Yeah, portal, I would like that. <laughs> the other water story I have related to that is um, there's an old-fashioned way to detect leaks. Uh, last week, I walked out in my garage, and the, the uh, ceiling was bulging, and there was water dripping. Uh, yeah, and it's because uh, the year before, I had low-flush toilets installed, and one of them was not done correctly, and something got rusted, and uh, if so facto, I have, you know, a giant hole in my uh, garage ceiling. Um, so Your toilets in the um, it's about attic, it. yeah oh, upstairs. yeah so story. yeah so uh, that's my other water leak story. Water leak. Good illustration. Things sounds like if you had access to that, um, I might have got a note. You yeah. would have uh, right. gotten an alert. Right, right. <laughs> I you know you know at least like yell at my kids. For I do know, I do know that when you um, fix leaks that. Um, 
um, and provide uh, proof of that to the city of Austin, they will give you um, some money back on your water bill. Oh, really? Yeah. Hot tip. Okay. Um, I might have to, like, get home. Wow. They like it when people fix leaks. They like to, you know. So, Jonathan, uh, the, the total estimate of water loss in the in which year is this? It's looking at 21, right? Um, 20 that's or? a slightly complicated question. Uh-oh. So 2020 is, is what okay. the data reflects, but we can get into why that's a little complicated. So 2020, mm-hmm. um, 572,000 acre feet mm-hmm. of water uh, was lost. And tell me, you, you had a, a, a great analogy in terms of the cities and how much water they use. Hannah, how much is 572,000 acre feet? Yeah, it's a hard number to picture. Um, but one way that was helpful for us to understand it was just to compare it to how much water certain cities in Texas demand uh, on an annual basis. So looking at 2020 annual demand, the amount of water being lost in Texas is equal to the amount of water uh, demanded in Austin, uh, Fort Worth, El Paso, Laredo, Lubbock. I think I got all the cities. All yep. those cities combined. That's a lot. And so it's it's a ton of it's water. a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Austin is one of the largest cities. Yeah. Fort Worth pretty much there as well. Right. El Paso's growing. Yep. And so, um, you know, just thinking about, um, you know, how much money might be saved in terms of uh, our investment and, you know, future water supplies yeah. in terms of, you know, new supplies and, yeah. and uh, you know, maybe avoiding some of those projects that have got uh, a significant environmental impact. Yep. Uh, you know, that's that seems to me like that's low-hanging fruit and people would see this right. and the cities would like, okay, we'll do this first because yep. it's cheap and easy to do and we don't get sued by anybody because they think we're taking their water. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you bringing up the, um, you know, the environmental impact part. You know, we can't we can't afford to just keep um, creating more and more water supplies in the state. There's even even if we're just meeting the needs of people and agriculture and you know power generation, um, we're not going to be able to keep doing that. But we also want to make sure that our rivers and streams are healthy fish and wildlife habitat. That we have water flowing out of our rivers into our basin estuaries, so we can. Um, still, you know, support um, support ecotourism industry, support our commercial fisheries. Um, a lot, every all these things require water. Right. Um, so when we think about water loss, you know, this is water we already have. Not only that, we're treating it. Pipes. Yeah, it's in our pipes. We're treating this water. We are spending money to make it into clean, potable drinking water, and then we're losing it as it's being transported. Um, you know, it's not disappearing off the face of the earth. Um, it may be, you know, going into storm sewer or recharging off for something, but 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 it's it's water that we have spent um, money on chemicals, manpower, um, electricity to treat and move um, uh, to our household. So we need to make sure that as much as possible reaches its intended destination. And, um, you know, no system is going to be 100% tight and things happen. We have droughts, the ground moves, pipes crack, we have snowstorms, you know, all kinds of things happen. Yeah. But but we really can um, efficiently and affordably uh, do a lot to, um, to reduce that water loss. Even if you set aside the environmental concerns, I mean, just on a practical level, I mean, the new state water plan calls for 23 new major reservoirs. And if you look at the track record of getting major new reservoirs built, that's, that's right. It's a headache for everyone involved, you know, right. Um, and these, this is, seems like a much more practical, like, as you said, low hanging fruit, a good place for us to start and for the state to start. So, you know, uh, just looking at that, thinking about that figure, 572,000 acre feet, what, what would, what, what's a figure that if it was reduced down to so many thousands of acre feet that you, you'd say, Hey, that's, you're doing pretty good. If it was yeah. instead of 572,000, it was X. 
well, we, that's a big part of our methodology of our analysis was trying to look, find numbers that were realistic, re- realistically achievable and cost effect in a cost effective manner. And roughly, if we can get utilities performing to roughly a 75th percentile compared mm-hmm. to the peers, um, we can save about half that water. So 249,000 uh, acre feet, which is a tremendous amount of water. And that's with very realistic, cost effective approaches. And if we push a little bit harder and get to a 90th percentile of performance, um, that's uh, 359,000. So that's almost three quarters of the water being lost. Wow. And this is this is based on a, um, there's some technical appendices in yeah. this report for people that really want to go in deep on this. But um, we came to these numbers um, by doing an analysis called the Frontier Analysis. We had a water loss uh, expert, um, Alan Wyatt, worked on this with us. He's, he's done this type of analysis in other um, countries and other states. It's never been done with the Texas data. Um, but what it really does is it, is it, it groups utilities in a cohorts that are, that are similar, um, like age and pipe material, a whole host of different things. And and you look at, you look at we use water loss data, water loss audit data submitted by utilities in Texas. Um, we take out kind of the outliers and the folks that have data that's, you know, that we that, um, we've determined to be pretty noisy. Yes, yeah. noisy is a good word for it. Um, <laughs> water loss water loss audit reporting is very complicated and, and any city that does it will know that. Um, it's a very, very long Excel sheet with a lot of numbers in it and a lot of data. Um, but what he what we did is is we looked at what the high high performers are. So that's like the frontier, and then you plot the other cities along that. And so if you're if you're um, performing at the average performance level, the 50th percentile, that means that your water loss is you know better than 50 percent of the utilities in Texas, and you know 50 percent of them are doing better than you're right there in the middle. And so you know we're really looking at good performance, which we we call we call it average good and very good performance, and that equates to 50th, 75th, and 90th percentile. Who, who are your stars? So tell me. We're really stars. we're really not um, trying to like pull out specific cities here. We're literally looking at just um, one. telling the story. The new cities with new infrastructure yeah. are doing better than the yeah. bigger old cities with old infrastructure. Suburbs. Yeah. New, new suburbs <laughs> of major cities. Yeah. You can guess maybe in yeah. Austin. Yeah. Up north. Just thinking, yeah. They, they are doing better than some of the old cities that are struggling with older infrastructure. It's much harder to fix. Around drinks. Put something in. Uh, All right. I'm doing okay. Well, my drink, but y'all are doing good. Yeah, no, you're you're doing fine. Would you like to say anything for the microphone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, hence the reason I've been kind of excited. So, we're talking about water. Oh, yeah. It's war if you don't want to ask. No, water. Oh, sorry. I have an accent. Sorry about that. And after I've had half of one of these. Cocktails. I had more of it. Things just start slurring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. My apologies. Uh, no, no worries. No worries. So, yeah, we're talking about the wet stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I leave you guys to the back. I don't want to interrupt it. Thanks. Thanks. So, uh, the, uh, the this report actually looked at some other cities and some other states, right? Yeah. So, what's uh, um, I mean, do you have a sense as to how Texas might be doing compared to other states in general? or is that not really part of this analysis? So the, the data that we looked at or compared to um, other states was mainly the costing data, getting a sense of uh, the, the cost ranges for specific strategies. This kind of frontier analysis approach has actually not been applied, uh, as far as we know, to specific other states in the U.S. So this oh. is kind of a first. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so it's, it's been uh, it's been applied internationally, but the you know the, the contexts are very different. Okay. But this is kind of a new 
newish approach for other states as well. So the impression we're getting based on feedback from other people is that other states are interested now in adopting a similar analysis. Gotcha. Well, so if you didn't, if there's not a, another state to compare to, there are a couple of cities in other states that are, that are compared in here. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about that? You know, the, and the other cities analysis too was really, as Jonathan said, to help understand the costing and just the approach and kind of the different things that they did, showing that it really is kind of like a systems approach um, and that it requires um, um, consistent investment. Um, this is, water loss is not something, you know, from our conversations with these cities, water loss is not something that you fix it and forget it. Right. Um, you have to continue to maintain the system. Um, the cities that we talked to also tended to use um, revenue, like their kind of general funds, if you will. They didn't like take out loans. They just dedicated some of their money every year to keep working on these systems. And they employed a variety of tactics. And, and uh, depending on what you're doing, there's a lot of different things that you can do. And it depends on kind of what you're trying to, what you're, what, what problem you're trying to fix. So um, it requires consistent attention and consistent investment. And, you know, at the beginning, on the onset, to really try to solve big gnarly problems, it can be a big program. Um, and you could really kind of, you know, maybe maybe address some, some situations. But, but I think, you know, the thing that we really learned from them is, you know, they have had a big focus on investment, but they keep, they keep investing. I think one of the consistent themes that came through from other cities uh, elsewhere is really at least one area of success was focusing on data first. Um, refining, making sure you're getting accurate data is kind of the basis of any kind of successful water loss program. And the cities like Nashville, Tennessee, um, and a few others, I mean, you know, really kind of similar to Austin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But they, they've experienced success by starting with focusing first on cleaning up your data, making sure you have an accurate picture of what you're dealing with before coming up with any kind of, you know, shovel plans. So, um, I have now more a, a, a philosophic question because I'm like getting to the bottom of my uh, my martini glass. <laughs> um, and you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, Jennifer. You know, uh, I think you said, well, you know, we just can't keep developing new water projects. So, you know, it's something I'm very interested in. Um, you know, we don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about how can we change human behavior around water, at least not in the state water planning process, seems like. And, I've, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, kind of the same, for the same reason. You know, there's, you know, so many reservoir sites available, and it's very hard to, to even build a reservoir. We working on our second one, really, since the late 80s right now. And um, desal, seawater desal is, I guess, a possibility. Corpus is trying to do that, but it's very expensive, and, you know, big environmental impacts if you discharge the brine into the bay, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there are other projects, uh, types of projects available, but, you know, uh, over time, there's fewer options in some regards, and they're definitely more expensive. Um, do you think we should maybe be spending more time kind of looking at how we're using our water and trying to, like, trying to incorporate that more into the water planning process as opposed to just, like, okay, you know, here, here's how much we need, you know, and these are the options for getting this amount of water. One of the reasons why I say that is, um, you know, some of the plans you go back and look at, like I recently was looking at, I think it's the, I think it's the 84 plan. May get that, may have got that year wrong, but I think it's 84. And I was looking at how many projects were in that plan and how many have actually been built because, you know, that, that plan kind of anticipated being built out by 2020, 2030. And I think there are 44 projects Projects in it, and I counted like seven or nine. Sounds about right. 
So, well, you know, and that's the whole planning process, yeah. right? That's yeah. the top down, and now we have bottom up. But, but I'm still, I'm still curious what you think about, you know, our focus on water planning. Maybe it should also include more thinking about change of behavior, or maybe finding new ways to use the infrastructure we have now. Yeah. So, um, a couple of thoughts with that. I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, as I look at the water planning process and the, the process that SB1 set up and this every five-year regional water planning process, um, conservation um, and, you know, making more efficient use of the water we already have has become a bigger and bigger part of that. And I'm really glad to see that, especially as a regional water planning group member for Region K. Um, reuse has become a bigger part. Um, and my understanding is um, it's one of our recommendations, and I think the board is going to run with it, um, is that water loss will become a, a, a standalone water management strategy so we can have some more refinement a, around these strategies to mm-hmm. kind of take the water that we already have and use yeah. it more efficiently. Um, so I'm really heartened by that. I do think that a lot of communities are moving towards um, alternative as you know, alternative water supply right. strategies, not so alternative anymore, you know, yeah. but like reuse, um, on-site reuse, uh, um, AC and, and rainwater capture, AC condensate and rainwater capture, and all these things. And I don't think that there's necessarily um, an easy, clean way to reflect that in the regional water planning process. In fact, rainwater harvesting is, is zero. It's not a strategy that has any, any amount attached to it because it's the regional water planning process is drought time and we assume we're not going to have rain. Right. Um, so I think that uh, yeah. the behavioral type things fall under typically under water conservation um, and water conservation is included in a lot of plans and I know in my region, Region K, our region because we're all in Austin here in Central Texas um, we, we strongly include water conservation but we can't make any community do water conservation but we, we actively include it as a part of the regional water planning process and I think we need to really think about is is there a way that we can compel or incentivize communities to get on the water conservation train? I mean, I think, you know, we have come so far from yeah. when yeah. I first started doing this work and saying, would you please consider yeah. conserving some water? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's all really important. I think the other thing with the regional water planning process is, you know, we're not really affirmatively planning to meet environmental needs. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a problem. Um, I don't think any of us really wants to dewater our rivers or yeah. have unhealthy bays or anything like that. And, and I think, you know, that it's just been kind of this thing that's like, oh, it's, you know, it's cool. So we get taken care of, you know, we've got this other SB3 process and, but, you know, that hasn't really been operationalized in the way that we really want it to be. So I think that, you know, that's a whole re- other podcast. The regional water planning, pro- the regional good. water planning <laughs> process is, has, gets better and better every time, but we still have some big holes. I can give a very much more vague and abstract addition to that here. Yeah. Um, I think like you put your finger on that part of the problem really. Like in the water world, we talk a lot about the value of water. I mean the US Water Alliance has a whole campaign centered on it. Um, but that's largely because for the most part we don't value water at all. Right. We don't really have a clear understanding of the value of water, I think. A lot of my research looking at other contexts um, elsewhere in the world, more arid contexts, water is basically worshipped, you know? Yeah. It's a, the highest cultural value. Obviously, we don't need to switch to some sort of water religion, but um, shifting I'm culture towards <laughs> shifting to culture towards some kind of much more uh, centering of the I mean, I did get baptized, so that's kind of... Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
We can use some water reverence. That would lead into the behavior change that Todd was talking about. Yeah. I think it tracks. I mean, it's a big question. How do you get people to change their behavior? I would also like to propose a podcast about Jonathan's um, thesis. (laughs) Yeah. Because we all need to learn more about it. I would, I'm, you know, I'm serious. I do want to look at it. Um, So, uh, you know, kind of on this same uh, line here, you know, I, I remember when I started out and in the what in the uh, late 80s uh, and you know the thought that cities could get down to like 130 or, or 120 gallons per capita per day their water use I mean it was like no thought of that I mean I was I mean you know where I ever people say oh maybe we might eventually be able to get down to like 200 or 180 or something like that and you know that 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 you know floor you know is gone and we're now in the 120 130 range and you know people are still putting a lot of water on lawns and stuff and so it's like a lot more to go i mean that that reminds me of a of a point i wanted to make that i forgot immediately forgot but um is that when we talk about the regional water planning process i do think it's good that we that we update every five years because i don't think it's really easy for us to predict how and how much water we're going to be using um a really stark example that comes to mind is is the city of Austin in 1999 negotiated a water deal with LCRA um, and I think it was really panned at the time. It was $100 million Austin paid for, for water and, um, and there was this trigger in it and once we reached this trigger of uh, 201,000 acre feet of water use per year for two, for two years in a row, then it also would start paying for water like on a per acre foot basis which is the unit of measure that we use for, for, for water and pay and payment um and so you know when that contract was signed the prediction was that austin would meet that level of water use in 2015 and you know we we haven't we're still not anywhere close to that and it doesn't mean that austin hasn't grown and the people aren't here we're not because the people are certainly here Mm -hmm. but now we're predicted to meet that trigger this payment trigger um in 2035 and that's huge like we have changed our water use so dramatically that we have put off this this trigger that we thought where we would need more water or that we would need to start paying for this, this trigger you know and granted it's a big incentive because it's going to cost a lot of money once we start paying for it yeah. and we're all going to pay for it and then maybe we'll be a little more in touch with the value of water in our community but but you know to put that trigger off for 20 years through conservation efficiency um, really good water management yeah. uh, behavior change in our city mm-hmm. um, when everyone gets their meters and gets to log on and see how much water they use hopefully that'll help too but that is like a real testament to how you know in 1999 we thought water use would go this way and now we're sitting here in 2022 and we think that we're going to not hit that trigger until you know 20 years later than we thought and who knows maybe you know at 2030 we'll be like we're not hitting that trigger to 2050 so it's like it's very it's very um we don't know how we're going to be using water right and but i do know that we're going to be using it more efficiently so yeah, two things. One is I was living here then, and you know, if you had told the people who negotiated that deal, oh, by the way, Austin's going to grow even faster, <laughs> and there'll be even more people yeah. than you think right now. You're projecting, and by the way, we aren't going to use this much water. Yeah, and it's going to be put off another twenty years, like you said. I don't think you know, no one would have believed you. Right? Yeah, so yeah. it's just like one one very good example in a sea of examples around our state. And the thing is, is we're a state that is experiencing climate change and we're experiencing it through water. Um, We have deep droughts. We have flash droughts. We have triple digit days, unending triple digit days. Um, You know, these are all reasons why I like being in Montana. We are, we, you know, we are really, you know, we're, it's coming at us. Do you have a sense of like, what was the major driver for the decline in consumption? I mean, you listed a bunch of things. Um, So, 
you know, Austin really started embarking on a water conservation program, um, and it really became an ethic for this community. You know, Austin's a special place, and everyone is gonna that's not in Austin is gonna roll their eyes right now on the <laughs> webinar. But um, you know, and and we really doubled down on that, and I think we still have a long yeah. ways to go. Um, so, you know, San Antonio is the same way, but I think that a city also they have drivers. You know, they have levers. You yeah, know, yeah, San Antonio yeah. had the yeah. limit on the Edwards Aquifer. Um, you know, if you have an unlimited water supply for days and it's cheap and plentiful, you know, are you really digging in on this? Maybe not. Eventually, we're all going to have to, you know, right. come to terms with that. Right. So, um, you know, the, the, the bringing it back to the to the water loss report, um, this is a huge amount of water yeah. that we're losing every year. And we're not trying to say, you know, hey, guys, you're all doing it wrong or anything like that. We're saying that here's a big opportunity yep. and what and we have a really robust planning process in this state and we um, have identified you know where our gaps are in yep. supply and and we're proposing hey why don't we look at filling this gap through repairing our leaky infrastructure um, because this is water we already have um, it's a sound investment you know maybe we'll still need to drill some you know groundwater wells you know maybe we'll still need to have an interbase and transfer from somewhere, but maybe we won't. Yeah. And maybe we yeah. can rely on our locally available water supplies and and keep, you know, rely on the water that we already have in our communities, because that would really be the best scenario. So that's really the point that we're trying to drive home and that it can be done economically and, by goodness, you know, we had no idea that the IIJA was even going to be a thing. Right. We had no idea when we started this and we certainly didn't time this and like drought. when it came out. And the drought. But, yeah, you know, like, timing. you know, so we have no no excuses if, if this isn't just like you know the wave of the future. But um, you know, we we hope we hope that this provokes a real um, conversation about how we should be you know um, planning for future water supplies. And guess what? We're almost exactly at one hour with that. That's perfect timing. Um, you know, you did it better than you did in rehearsal, by the way. The margarita helps. It, it margaritas help everything. <laughs> Amen. So, um, well, we, we're going to wrap up here. Why don't you tell us how we can find out, you know, how we can find this report and also how we can find out more about the National Wildlife Federation in Texas and uh, the Texas uh, Living Water Project. So the place to go is our website, texaslivingwaters.org. Um, that's the center hub for all the work we do in Texas uh, as part of the National Wildlife Federation. Um, the Texas Living Waters Project is a, is a collaboration with other organizations as well, the Nature Conservancy, Sierra Club, um, Hill Country Alliance, Galveston Bay Foundation, they all have collaborated on this um, and you can if you visit our website you can subscribe to our newsletter follow us on Twitter we like to tweet every once in a while we have a hankering for live tweeting hearings at the Capitol and that sort of thing um, but yeah that's the best way to track us we have the coveted TX water Twitter handle yeah yeah that's us. Nice. so come find nice. us <laughs> it's an easy one to remember um, and so we've been talking with uh, Jennifer and Jonathan about the Hidden Reservoirs uh, Report Addressing Water Loss in Texas. Um, Jennifer, Jonathan, thank you for joining us today on Talk with Water. Thank you on so talk. much. Did I, I, did I mess that up? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what If they made it right? this far, right. they know. Right. You know the name. So this has been Talk with Water. My guests, guests, plural, today were Jennifer Walker and Jonathan Seafelt. We both work for the National Wildlife Federation's Texas Coast and Water Program. So if you like the presentation today, give it a like. No one ever gives it likes. I don't know why. They never do. We'll put it on our uh, Twitter. That'd be good. That'd be good. They're listening to them, but I don't listen to these podcasts, but they don't like it. Uh, or they don't give it likes. Anyway, I try not to take it too personal. Uh, my name's Todd Bottler. Let's talk water again soon.